As they say down under, good day, mate. Uh, it's Rick Jones coming back to you from the bridge. Can you believe it? Uh, we're in July. Um, it seems like our whole lives are deja vu, uh, or as the guy said, deja vu all over again. Um, we uh, have been in this pandemic for quite a while now, and all the days seem to be blending together. Uh, there was an old song from my teenage years by uh, Kenny Loggins and Jim Messina, and the song says, your mama don't dance and your daddy don't rock and roll. Well, today you'd better be able to dance if you're in the events business, uh, because our world is so different and will be for a while and so today's show is all about pivoting in the pandemic, and that's how we are every day changing the way we think, the way we work, the way we activate. My guest angler is Mike Boykin, who's the CEO of Bespoke Sports and Entertainment in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mike will discuss how his agency is pivoting during this crisis because he's always been such a pioneer and a pivoter. Uh, we'll also find another great place to eat on the road with Rick, and I'll give you yet another opinion from the soapbox. So let's get this party started. Um, I got to believe everybody listening out there has seen the classic Christmas movie, uh, White Christmas. <laughs> you know, it's the story of a couple of soldiers that meet up on the battlefield and and uh, end up forming a duet post-war and, and they meet a couple of a couple of ladies in Miami and uh, and end up um, following them up to Vermont to a, to an inn and of course it's supposed to be ski season in Vermont and it's a heat wave and there's nobody there and and they come to find out that their um, that the innkeeper was their former general uh, was their general general Waverly um, and it's kind of a comical thing, but uh, they're trying to, to run a show and, and, and help this general who suck his life savings into this, uh, into this inn uh, survive. Um, and there's a, a classic scene where the, uh, Bing Crosby goes before a national television audience and, and invites everybody that had ever served under, under the general to come back and, and spend Christmas Eve uh, at the inn. And there's a very famous uh, song. All the songs in, in, in White Christmas are from Irving Berlin um, called What Can You Do With a General When He Stops Being a General? <laughs> well, what do you do in the events business when we stop having events? And that's what so many of us in the industry are wondering today. Yes, we have great uncertainty, but leaders realize that every day is uncertain. I listened to a podcast few weeks ago with Simon Sinek, and he reminded me of that. He, uh, every day is uncertain. Uh, we think that we live in uncertain times. Uh, we know the sun will come up tomorrow. We just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I know this, crisis is a great uh, revealer. It reveals a lot about us. We've talked previously about how this pandemic has revealed the problems in college sports that have already existed. And on our next podcast, I'm going to dive into what I feel are solutions for the financial problems in college athletics. But for today, I believe everybody out there listening is having to pivot in their jobs, in their personal lives, with their friends and with their families. 
you know, if you're a leader and, and hey, most people are leaders of something, then you must pivot and change the way you are doing things. I read an article in last month's Fortune magazine about how Best Buy's relatively new female CEO, Corey Berry, has pivoted her organization. She did four things, and she did them very, very quickly. One, she realized that Best Buy was truly an essential business. They sell freezers and refrigerators, necessary items for home, uh, among other things that are very necessary during this time when you're spending more time at home. Secondly, she responded to the crisis by creating a new system where you order and they deliver or bring it to your car. You actually pull up to Best Buy, you don't come into the store, and someone comes out and puts it in your trunk. Um, Or if you need to go into the store, they have like a personal shopper, a concierge that will go with you throughout the store to every section to make sure you're finding what you need in a safe manner. Thirdly, unfortunately, she had to let 51,000 people go. Now, that, that sounds harsh, but remember, she's trying to save the enterprise. And when you're trying to save the enterprise, you need to do things. And I appreciated the fact that she did it quickly. Because in most of those cases, those people could file for unemployment and at least have some income that's coming in. Uh, I used to tell people all the time, I can live with yes, I can live with no. It's maybe that gets you in trouble. And the maybes in a pandemic are really getting a lot of businesses in trouble. But fourthly and finally, she realizes that we're not going to go back to where we were and that she's making changes now that will last into the future for Best Buy. One of the things she's realized is she may need a lot of people in the store on weekends, but not so many during the week. And so I think you're going to begin to see some scale in terms of how many folks actually work and when they work. She's also realized that uh, they've been very successful with their executive staff and with their buyers by working remotely. And so are they going to need a headquarters of that size anymore, or are they going to pivot from that standpoint? It was a great example of a, of a business that we all know and how they're pivoting in these times. So what, what, what are we doing or what have we done uh, at Fishbait? Um, you know, firstly, we really have tried to add value to others. Um, we've spent a lot of time the last few months um, producing content, lots and lots of content that maybe can help people through podcasts or, or webinars or video series. Um, our Tuesday tips, uh, just a variety of content that that may help people uh, pivot more successfully. Uh, secondly, we have a lot of assets to sell, and we've reached out to, firstly, activation and experiential agencies, and we've let them carry the water to their clients versus us actually doing that. Um, you know, these are agencies that had budgets. They had budgets for March Madness or Major League Baseball or the Olympic Games, and they're trying to keep these budgets and, and billings. And fortunately for us, we've got a lot of fourth quarter assets. We're hoping, as I'm talking to you now in July, we're, we're hoping uh, that, you know, there's going to be some clarity and there'll be events in some form or fashion by fourth quarter for sure. And so we've got things like bowl games or basketball tournaments or lots of country music assets or the World Food Championships that potentially can help 
brands market their products. Thirdly, we've, uh, we've created and, and sold virtual events during this period of time. It's really helped us in the music side. There have been concerts and special engagements and other online events. Uh, not so many in college sports, but on the music side, we've, we've had a chance to pivot and, and learn new skills and sell new things. And finally, we try to get up and get better every day. Uh, can you learn new skills? Um, and uh, we, we've been pretty diligent about, about trying to improve each and every day. Coach Wooden, who's one of my heroes, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you used to say, when you're through improving, you're through. Uh, and so we, we try to get up every day and learn new skills. We, we've, we've always been a virtual agency. We're 17 years old, and so, you know, there wasn't a great pivot in how we do business because we all work out of our homes, but we did change. Uh, one of the things that we started doing was uh, we went from doing a once-a-week team call to doing a daily team call. I think in uncertain times, people want to hear from leaders. People want to know what we're doing. Uh, and really, it was, what are we doing today? Uh, because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Uh, the world's changing daily, and we have to react to, uh, to new news every day. So the question for each of you out there today is, how have you pivoted? It's time for the soapbox. You know, we recorded this in advance, uh, and so you're actually listening to this a few weeks after we do the recording. I'm going to go off script a little bit. Uh, I, I really have a heavy heart today. Uh, uh, you know, we've got this combination of a political campaign, a pandemic, and the Black Lives Matter movement. And as I'm recording this today, we're coming off of a weekend where yet another young black man has been shot and killed by a police officer. And this time it, it hit really home for me because it was in my, my hometown of Atlanta. I was born and raised in Atlanta. And Atlanta had coined a, a, a phrase, the city too busy to hate. Uh, during the, the riots of the civil rights movement in the 60s, Atlanta pretty much remained immune to that, largely because the political leadership in both the black community and the white community had found ways to come together. Um, and I think when I looked at what I had written for the soapbox today, I think it's pretty appropriate. I, I've mentioned in the past about the famous Hyde Park Corner uh, in London where you, you're able to stand and up on a platform and you can pretty much rant and rave and say anything that you want. In these challenging times, though, I'd like to add a new rule to the Hyde Park Corner or all the other Hyde Park Corners around the world. Here's the new rule I would like to have us um, have. The new rule is you can only talk for 15 minutes and then you got to sit down and listen to someone who totally disagrees with you for the next 15 minutes. No listening, then no speaking. That's right. If you're a conservative, then you got to actually have to listen to a liberal. And if you're a liberal, guess what? You have to listen to a conservative. Boy, oh boy, we need to listen more right now. And listening seems to be a lost art. Or could it be that we're all so insecure in our beliefs that we can't or won't allow another person's opinion that is not ours? How can we ever hope to understand others if we don't respect them enough to actually listen to their views and their perspectives? 
There's that old Native American saying that you cannot understand another until you walked many moons in his or her moccasins. I'm not asking any of you to walk in another's moccasins, but rather just to have enough respect and maybe enough guts to listen to someone who disagrees with you. Then and only then can we start disagreeing without being so disagreeable. And that's the soapbox. My guest angler today is my very good friend, Mike Boykin. Mike and his business partner, Greg Bush, have created an amazing agency in only five years after both had long and successful stints at the agency GMR. In fact, both of them created the sports marketing practice at GMR. Bespoke Sports and Entertainment works with a number of corporate clients, including Academy Sports and Outdoors, United Healthcare, Navy Federal Credit Union, Pilot Flying J, among others. Mike is a South Carolina Gamecock through and through and loves college football as much as anyone I know. I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Mike to the bridge. Hey, Mike, thanks for being here. Rick, it's great to hear your voice. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, and I look forward to this morning. Well, let's start the conversation with a very important question. Are you back in Charlotte, or are you still down here living in God's country? Amen to that being God's country. And unfortunately, I'm not as smart as you. I have been back here in Charlotte for about five weeks or so. Uh, coming into the office and with an occasional uh, opportunity to visit with a teammate or a client or somebody from the industry. But for the most part, it's me and the SEC network and me and the NFL network uh, just going at it every day, trying to make this thing move forward. Well, before we talk about where we are today, I want to take a step back. I want you to give the listeners kind of an overview of your career path. Uh, you know, I reminded everybody you're a good Gamecock and uh, grew up in the great state of South Carolina and went to the university. Um, how'd you start your career and how'd you get to where you are today? Well, Rick, I had a lot of great people involved in my life um, and I guess the seminal moment was when I was at the University of South Carolina and I had a professor ask me to come meet for lunch. And I thought for sure she was going to tell me I was failing. I was at that time pre-med, but uh, Ms. Ernestine Law was kind enough to say, Mike, why are you doing this? Why do you think you want to be a doctor or a dentist? And I had all the wrong answers. I was doing it for money and lifestyle. Uh, And, you know, my father and brother and everybody else who had gone in that field, they were good role models, but that wasn't what was in my heart. And Miss Law got me started on this road of what do you love? And if you make a mistake, that's okay. Let's try the next one. So I tried everything you could think of in sports from radio, newspaper, uh, worked at the athletic department in all kinds of various roles. And that just began the journey. Uh, later went to graduate school at Ohio University and was fortunate enough to land an internship at, in Philadelphia at the Spectrum. And I think you and I, Rick, have talked about being an intern in the room the day President Reagan was shot in 1981 and seeing uh, what I thought were the giants of 
uh, sports and television and college sports, Wayne Duke and Dave Gavitt and all the people from the spectrum contemplating, you know, do they play that national championship game? That had a, a very powerful impact on me being at that building. Uh, I could not believe how they optimized revenue and how they thought it was a different way of thinking, how creative they were. Uh, it was just a, a game changer for me. So I was in the arena business and the promotion business, live events for the better part of a decade before moving on the media side. And then uh, the team side, I'd accepted a position in Houston with the Rockets and didn't, you know, at the last minute, didn't want to move to Houston with my young family at the time. I ended up getting into the agency world and I thought it was going to be a very short stay, but it's uh, now been you know, 25 years. You know, it's interesting. That, that Final Four you mentioned uh, was my first Final Four. I was a head basketball coach at Swanee at the University of the South, and we have our coaches convention every year at, um, at the Final Four. And, and I remember how surreal that whole thing was. Um, you know, one of the great basketball stories about that was Virginia, University of Virginia yep. had the great Ralph Sampson, and they were in the Final Four, and they had beaten North Carolina that season three times. They had beaten them home and home and then beaten them in the championship game of the ACC tournament. So they're 3-0 and against North Carolina, playing them once again in the semifinals, and uh, lo and behold, North Carolina upset them. Uh, do you and- remember who – do you remember Rick who went crazy for North Carolina in that game? I think Al Wood, didn't he just that would go be yeah, correct, yeah. coach? You, your memory didn't no, let you down. No, it's That's interesting. Right. Al Wood, I, I when I had been a high school coach uh, prior to going to Swanee, I had been a high school coach down on St. Simons Island, Georgia, and I uh, had a summer camp. Um, um, and Al Wood was one of my counselors. I got Al Wood and, and, a, and a, a guy that everybody sees on CBS a lot during the tournament, a guard named Jim Spinarkle. Spinarkle had played at, at, it was at that time playing at Duke. And so I had Al Wood and Jim Spinarkle living in my house uh, for a week. And Al Wood now, uh, Mike is a, is a minister. He runs a, um, a, an amazing, uh, basketball related, uh, um, uh, uh, kind of an out, uh, you know, you know, some sort of a, a service a program, Christian service program, uh, a ministry program called Crossfire Ministries. And uh, but Al Wood went crazy, and then obviously that other game was LSU played uh, Indiana, and I, I think that was the night that Bob Knight threw an LSU fan in a trash can in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, well, uh, 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 true story, Rick. He about <laughs> threw me in a trash can at the Spectrum <laughs> as I was not paying attention to where I was, and he came through, and I was wearing a red sports coat that looked like the ushers there at the Spectrum at the time. And uh, let's just say I didn't know understand how big Coach Knight was, and that you need, you need to be paying attention at all times. Well, and then and then of course they, you know, Reagan Reagan re- really was the one that I think told the hospital staff. Um, after he'd been shot, that it, it, he really wanted to watch the game, <laughs> and uh, yeah. and uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. You know, I look back at at, at in these times at Reagan's um, leadership style. You know, such self-deprecating humor. Um, you know, he had said at one point in a speech that he knew that's what the founding fathers had meant because he was there. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, later on in the, in the second uh, campaign in the debates when, when he was running against Walter Mondale and people were making an issue about how old Reagan was going into the second term. And he started the debate by saying, I promise not to use my opponent's uh, youth and relative inexperience against him in this election. <laughs> and, but, but, but when Reagan got shot, there were a couple of really interesting things. I mean, his first words to Nancy, his wife, were, honey, I forgot to duck. Uh, which I thought was a great way of trying to reassure her. But my favorite line with him was when he got wheeled into the operating room, he looked up and said to all the doctors and nurses huddled around him, he said, I hope you're all Republicans. <laughs> and, and, the doc, and the doctors said, Mr. President, today we're all Republicans, you know. But he had a great sense of humor, and, and the show went on in that part. I, the other thing you mentioned I, before we get back to your career was, uh, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit. I, I call all you OU guys, the Ohio University guys, the OU Mafia. I mean, y'all, y'all have quite a legacy of, uh, of, of graduates that, that have stuck together and have helped each other. Uh, I think that's probably the, the best graduate program in all of sports management. There are a lot of them out there. And I think what makes it great is because y'all continue uh, to talk to one another and to help other graduates. Well, there's no doubt that it changed me. Um, uh, I did a lot of growing up. Um, I realized that there was a, a broader world with bigger opportunities. And uh, in that first leg of my career, when I was traveling all over the country doing events, I never went to a city where I was a stranger. There was always somebody there from the program who would connect me with the right media people, potential sponsors, you know, all the things or places I needed to go or be. Uh, and that was a, a big, big advantage. Uh, later in my career, when I was working uh, at GMR, uh, it really became a pipeline. Um, I was talking to somebody from the school. I think there was a, over 20 people that we would bring in as paid interns and then, uh, you know, high likelihood that they would join the team. So uh, it was a pipeline. I would tell you, you know, uh, and I love the program. I know it's going through a lot of changes. The school's under tremendous financial pres- pressure in the state of Ohio. And I, I you know, hope that they will come through it strong. Uh, and, and again, a lot of dear friends uh, that I still talk to uh, in various roles. And, uh, you know, I just think that was a, a turning point for me and a, ble- a real blessing. Well, the connectivity um, of that group, I, I think, speaks for itself. And the fact that I think for, you know, we try to get a lot of young people to listen to this podcast is understanding about building relationships. I, I used to tell my kids all the time, you know, I'm not asking you to have another best friend, but you can never have enough friends. And and I think, you know, when you look at that connectivity of the Ohio University graduate program, uh, it's kind of second to none. So, so you make the pivot and you go into this crazy world called the agency business. <laughs> so, yep. yeah. So, how did? So, what happened then? Well, uh, I remember being at um, my mom had a place at Hilton Head, and I had my family and small kids uh, with her and some other friends at her place on the beach, and we were having a cookout. And I got a call from the Rockets. It was a Sunday afternoon. Said, "Hey, we're excited about you coming out." You know, and he could hear in the background the kids laughing and 
you know, it sounded like a party, which it kind of was. And he said, are you sure you want to move halfway across the country? And I said, that's a great question. I had not thought about the, the impact it would have on my children and my wife at the time and my mother who was still alive. Uh, I, I thought about it and reflected and prayed. And Rick, I just like, you know what? I, I don't think that's right. But I had the reality of I had to pay mortgage payments and all the other stuff. So there was an opportunity here to work for a small to mid-sized agency to kind of run it. In the first couple, three months, you know, I just spent time with each of the people in the organization, kind of understanding what they did and how the agency worked and how the agency made money. Um, it was a very interesting dynamic. Uh, Craftsman Tools was one of our accounts and we were negotiating the Craftsman Truck Series deal with um, with Brian France and the folks at NASCAR. So I learned and met a lot of people that I probably never would have met. Um, and I learned a lot of good things working at that agency, a lot of creative things. But I also learned some things on a management standpoint. I tell people all the time, I might not have learned what to do, but I learned what not to do in terms of how to. Well, that's valuable. I mean, that's as valuable yeah. as anything, especially early in your career. Yep. Oh, oh! I was just like, if I was in charge, I would never do X, or that worked well, and I would do that more often. Um, so that that kind of got me in. Um, had an opportunity. Greg Bush, who's my partner here at Bespoke, uh, early on, and a couple other guys, we were approached by an investor to start a, a small agency, and. Uh, we took the the leap, and I would tell people, be careful. You know, do your due diligence. In this particular case, we had not done the kind of due diligence that I think we should have. Uh, I think you know, my competitiveness and sometimes my lack of patience, that was when that was manifested right in front of me. So that that agency lasted a couple years. It was very, very successful, but it was very clear that we did not share the same values and we needed to find a way to exit, which we did. And uh, lo and behold, doing a couple of small consulting jobs here, I get a phone call from the uh, the dean at Ohio University on a Friday afternoon about this big job in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But he described the job first, you know, that you would be managing a team of 40 or 50. You would have all these sports properties from the NFL to the Chicago Bulls, you know, Rusty Wallace, and I'll say, wow, this sounds exciting. Where is it? And he told me Milwaukee, and having lived up in the north and dealt with the, the cold weather, I just was not very interested, and I had a couple of ugly words that I answered him, no thank you, or something like that. And he called back on Monday and said, now that you've been a baby for a weekend, I want you to let's start over and let you realize that this is a different stage than you've played on. And you need to at least go up there and meet them, which I did. And um, it, that was another, you know, pivotal point in my life to move my family to Milwaukee, uh, which was a great opportunity for me personally and professionally. But again, I go back, Rick, you know, you put your family, you know, my, I think my daughter was maybe 12 at that time. My son was maybe nine. You know, when, when you're uprooting and moving, it, sometimes much easier for the person who has the job than their family. And oh, I can relate to that. You know, we, I mean, literally Charlotte and I get married, 
we hadn't been married very long at all. She had a great job in Atlanta, and I'm like, uh, don't you want to move to San Antonio so I can run this golf tournament? And, you know, she's, she's been great about, okay, we'll do that. And then she gets settled in San Antonio, and I'm like, look, the Olympics are coming to Atlanta. Let's, let's go back to Atlanta. And, um, okay, we'll go back to Atlanta, and we do that. And then, you know, we sold our agency to, to Advantage International. I came home one day, and I said, what would you think about us moving to Europe? And she said, you son of a bitch, you told him yes before you asked me, didn't you? And I, <laughs> I said, oh, honey, I, I would never do that. But but you'll love London. You'll love London. And, you know, and then we drag our kids across the pond, and then we drag them to Dallas, and then we drag them to Charleston. So I, I can relate to that, uh, you know, the fact that that's a, that that's a strong consideration for for looking at what you're going to do. But, but, you know, going to GMR, you know, and I can say this without – any question you know y'all built what I felt like was one of the best if not the best sports marketing practices in the country um and well thank you I mean you did I mean it was just like wow um because I think they had been known for a lot of experiential and they've been known for a lot of hospitality stuff but they had not been necessarily known to being a strategic agency that y'all were able to do um and then you're there for a while and 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 then you and Greg decide to try it again. I want to say this to everybody listening too. If you're listening to what Mike has said, he failed in his first agency. There's nothing fatal about failure unless you let it be. When you take learnings and move on, then you're, you're going to ultimately have success. And I think, Mike, you, you took a lot of learnings from both that experience, small agency, maybe the value's not being right, Big old agency, maybe the structure and the values not being right. It's led you to bespoke. Talk about talk about what was y'all's motivation for creating this agency. Well, you're right, Rick. When we um, started at GMR, you know, we there are advantages of being part of a holding company, and that's resources. And once uh, Brian Buskey and Gary Reynolds and Jay Lindstrom, you know, said you, you seem to have this Miller account going in the right direction. You told us we could be broader and bigger and bring in other clients. You know, what do you do? And I said, first, you go get great talent. And my first round draft pick was Greg. So that started at GMR. And after, I don't know, 12, 14 years, you know, we had dozens of clients, I think 70, 80 clients around the globe. We had great people. We had acquired other agencies who had expertise. So it was a machine. Uh, But when you get to that position, you're not really dealing as much with the properties or more importantly, your clients, uh, you're managing, uh, to budgets, to margin numbers. Uh, you're looking at growth all the time, whether that's acquisition or new business. Uh, and then you're in, you know, just executive leadership type meetings. Uh, Greg and I both felt like, um, I think it was 2013, Rick. It was right in that area. We had lost a couple of pitches where we knew we had won. We were, like, giving ourselves nines on a scale of ten. We nailed it. But we didn't get them. And then one of the things uh, I probably learned from you, you know, make uh, a disappointment, you know, something you learn from. Uh, Danny Morrison, another good friend, he says, fumble forward. If we fumble, (laughs) at least learn from it and go forward. Yeah. And uh, we, we did autopsies and, and found that 
you know, what they said is they didn't want to be, you know, a small fish in a big pond that they would only see Greg and I when there was, you know, we were reselling them or selling them up. Or if there was a, a bad situation, we called it a nuclear bomb where we had to come up and clean it up. And that really wasn't how we had built GMR. And that's not what we thought. We felt there was a need. You know, there's five or six really good big agencies and some brands need and want that. But we felt, you know, with our experience and relationships on all sides of the industry that we could go build something a little more custom. A well, you're, more you're like you're, you're like me. You still like doing the work. I mean, you know, I, I've I've laughingly told everybody, you know, here's the difference between a, a a head football coach and a head basketball coach. The 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 football coach lets his assistants do all the coaching and does all the bad stuff, and a basketball coach makes the assistants do all the bad stuff and coaches his team. I, I prefer to be a basketball coach because you, you want to actually work with clients. You want to have ideas. You want to bring wisdom. You want to bring insights. And I, I imagine that, you know, when you become, you know, in a big holding company, and of course I, I didn't last long at the big holding company. Once we sold Advantage to IPG and formed Octagon, I was out the door not long after that because I'm such a cowboy. And I think you're, you got a little cowboy in you too. Um, I, I think it's, um, you, you look around one day and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing well financially, but this is not what I want to do with my life. Well, uh, again, I have been blessed to, to be around a lot of smart people and, uh, and, and some great training clients have been great teachers. I mean, when I think about that, I've probably been around, let's just say 150 to 200 top brands in my career and to sit in the room with the creatives and the CMO and the, you know, the people, sales leadership, HR leadership, I mean, from all these different critical areas of business, I've been able to, to glean little nuggets that, you know, allow me to go into that, you know, into that pocket of information and, and pull out tidbits that can help other clients. And then you know, when you think of media partners that we've been fortunate to work with, you know, the SEC network and ESPN, Fox, uh, et cetera, you know, really starting to extend partnerships and sports from what was traditional when I broke into the industry. You know, now integration is crucial across all areas. And so while I've learned a lot, I'm still learning and I, that keeps me going. I like it. Well, I think uh, the way y'all built the agency is now uh, magnified in where we are today. Um, in the pandemic, you know, two things. One, boy, every dollar that a client spends is going to have to be used more effectively, more efficiently than ever before. Integration is going to be more than before. Um, and secondly, you, you got to be willing to change. Um, you know, y'all grew so rapidly. Y'all been like a rocket ship since you started Bespoke. But now comes along <laughs> what none of us saw, none of us could have predicted. Um, and... Um, with this coronavirus pandemic to pivot. You know, it's, it's, it's weird. We're talking this morning, but if you'll recall on the morning of March 12th in Nashville, yeah, uh, I'm sitting one, yeah. I'm yeah. sitting one table away from you and Ron, yeah. uh, meeting with Gil Beverly, formerly of ESPN is now with the Titans and, you know, commissioner Sankey's in there. You see university presidents. And I remember going, you know what? 
Um, this is going to be bigger than I thought. I knew when Gobert from Utah went out, the NBA kind of set the tone and, and people seemed to follow Adam. And so we had a private concert for Belk scheduled that night. It got canceled. All our NASCAR activity got canceled. Uh, ACC and Big 12 basketball, you know, we called people home. And so Greg and I talked with Gordon and our other partners and said, hey, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's going to be an opportunity. Um, you know, we can crawl up and cave and collapse or we can try to pivot and understand what we can do to help our clients because many of our clients we're going to need to determine, do they postpone uh, their partnerships? Do they reallocate assets? You know, do they ask for cash back? And every client was kind of in a different position or is there some new creative execution that we can deliver that nobody else is thinking about? So all of those kinds of options you know, came into play and, and again, uh, Greg and Brooke and Tiff and Thomas and all the team, you know, they were on it quick, um, talking to our clients. So I would say, you know, the hustle was crucial. The attitude of we're, we're not going to be victims. We're going to try to be leaders. We're going to serve our customers. We're, we're going to engage our relationships. And that means everybody, former clients, industry teams, Agency partners, I, I think we, Rick, we we partnered up with Fishbay, uh, MarketCast, Publicis, uh, firm out in Texas. Every partnership we could think of, who are our friends? Who do we respect? Who could we align with that could win? Same thing with the media companies. Then then same thing in our community. What can we do in our community here in Charlotte or in South Carolina, North Carolina, to help those and business opportunities? Kind of. They emerge from that. They're like seeds. They pop up out of the ground. And we over-communicated. Um, we tried to be a, an agency and a group of people that acted um, on this, uh, serving others. I mean, there were a lot of hungry people that uh, popped up when schools closed. How can we help uh, feed different groups of people? What can we do? In the same as we've come to this uh, critical point in race relations, we don't need to talk about it. We got to do something about it. So we're working with our team on that too. And then one that, uh, I, again, I, I don't deserve any of this credit. <laughs> it's the innovation part that our team has come up with. I've shared with you the virtual hospitality concept that we developed uh, in partnership with one of our vendors. Um, which basically became a new platform that led to virtual hospitality. We've done that in NASCAR. We've done it in IndyCar. We're looking at the PGA and Major League Baseball and the NFL. Mike, tell everybody a little bit. Go a little deeper on that. Tell everybody what, what you've done there. That's it, fascinating to me. Well, again, let's go back. It's certainly not me. But what they've done is kind of what could we deliver to people since they couldn't go to the racetrack or the game that would allow – companies that are involved who are sponsoring various teams to, to deliver something of value. So it kind of became a, a hybrid of the experience you get at a racetrack or a game and uh, using technology very similar to Zoom. So we would send out invitations, uh, FedEx, we would send out 
goodie bags with T-shirts and hats, FedEx to you know the desired customers. And we'd send out another FedEx with snacks so that they could watch the race. And, you know, it, that was the kind of the hard touch, the, the heavy touch. The technology piece was how do we show them, you know, this is what a spotter does on race day. This is what the That's crew cool. chief does. Yeah. This is what the, a Q&A with the driver, uh, the team owner. And then maybe we had a broadcaster <laughs> join. You know, we would do this, the, the technology piece was for an hour before the race started once the race started there were you know trivia games and the personalities would come in and say hey look at this team they're doing this well watch out for this so it was just we did two or three test runs before we actually did it for advent health for the coca-cola 600 we were able to uh, get a lot of advent health messaging and what they were doing for the pandemic and for their employees embedded into the, uh, I, I, I want to call it a broadcast, but it's more than a broadcast. So, you know, and it has evolved and it has evolved from just virtual hospitality with no fans in the stands to now we're having discussions where people say, we need to do this all the time because yeah. I have fans yeah. in, you know, in Alaska or Boston that can't come, but would love this. So we're having those discussions it's evolved into a virtual birthday for a brand that's celebrating a big birthday. Can we do these? Could we do a birthday with music artists uh, in the store? Could we do it from their home? What is it to you know, virtual fashion shows? There's a lot of things this platform will allow us to do. And it's, again, it's kind of custom built. You know, we had a certain idea in our mind, but our clients will say, can you do this? Can you do that? And fortunately, we've got a team that always tries to find a way to get to yes. You've pivoted in, in amazing ways, and you've pivoted in ways that, like you said, may be the norm going forward. How do, how do we take a broadcast and make it more of a narrow cast? How do we make someone feel special that's not you know physically there but can be virtually there? And I think we've done that. Mike, look in your crystal ball right now. Uh, th- this um, – uh, podcast is going to run the first um, day of July looking out for the rest of the year what what, what do you think is going to happen well, Rick if I knew that I would I would take the risk and get on a plane and go to Vegas <laughs> yeah exactly I said I'd just go to Keeneland and bait bet on horses but, uh, but I, I get to say but, yeah but yeah tough I, I don't know I, but I have you know it, it seems like every week it's a month in terms of data and change in our, in our country and the world. So I think, you know, we're analyzing and observing. Uh, I, I am an optimist. Uh, I do hope that people will act a little more responsibly. Um, I'm seeing some disregard for social distancing at restaurants and on the lake and things like that. And, and I just I encourage people to be responsible. We're not only responsible for ourselves, we're responsible for people that we come in contact with. And I sure as heck don't want to give it to anybody. And I hope others take that. With that said, I'm not afraid. Um, and I would encourage people, now's the time to make changes in your lifestyle. If you um, are smoking, obese, or you can affect something that you do, 
that would uh, hurt your chances to fight the, the virus should you get it. Now's the time to, to change. Well, I don't you, know what yeah, that, you're one of my role models about this. You started you started a couple of years ago walking like crazy um, and, and walking and having conversations and stuff. And, and I, I really watched you and how you had had so much success doing that. You know, I'm 66 and every time I run, I just about die. You know, my, my legs hurt, places hurt, but, but I (laughs) I started walking again. I mean, I just, you know, and I've taken advantage of this time. And I remember what you were doing. You had the little track there, you know, the little area right outside your office that you were able to walk and, so we've started doing the same thing. I'm doing five and a half miles every day, and and uh, and that's made a difference. And it's not only made a difference. I think physically, it makes a difference. You know, psychologically, emotionally, you, you kind of have a little time to clear your head and and think. And I think we need to think more than we've ever done before in these times, because like you said, it's changing so rapidly. Uh, one of the questions I have for you is, what do you think? sponsors are going to do you know coming you know coming out of uh, you know 9-11 and coming out of uh, the 08 financial crisis we did see that people that actually spent money bounce back quicker are you trying to tell people that I know it's kind of a balance you know when you're letting people go and you know jobs are down and all sorts of things it's hard to come in and, and look like you're being uh you know self-serving but at the same time you're trying to serve their needs what, what, what are you hearing from the corporate community well, a couple things. I'm going to flash back. Um, I go back to the Kellogg Post case study. Kellogg's was aggressive. Post was not. Yeah. And Kellogg's left them in the dirt. And there's countless other examples. And my good friend, Tim Daniel, who used to be at Coleman, um, 2000 was a record year for them as you know, the end of the world was coming after 1999. And they sold more yeah. <laughs> If I recall, they were like a hundred million plus over budget. But the following year, they were like, you know, we're we're gonna have to tighten up. We're going. And Tim said this, and I, I've used it, and I laugh at it, but there's a lot of truth. He says, "Oh, so we're gonna shrink to greatness." And I just <laughs> I'm like, no, we're not gonna shrink to greatness. Uh, we can shrink to a number so. You know, you've got to protect shareholder value. You've got to protect certain things. But I think you want to be smart and aggressive, analyze. And remember, there are some businesses right now, too, Rick, that are just killing it. I mean, doing exceptionally well, whether they're CPGs or companies that are innovating as it relates to uh, safety and health uh, and uh, you know, exercise equipment. And you just keep looking at there's There's more categories than one would believe that are doing well. Uh, but I think you got to have great, honest conversations about, you know, what their business, where it is and where it can be and can partnerships be a part of the solution. And if so, you know, custom build those solutions. We're finding most properties are listing a lot more than they ever had. We had uh, Jim Allen from the Braves and John Clark on our virtual Charlotte sports plus business, which Again, thank you for joining us early in the uh, that process. But both of them, both the Braves and the Red Sox, were just you know, very emphatic that they wanted to listen a lot. What's going on in their business? What did they see short-term? What did they see long-term? And then how could they be part of it? And I, I think that's the kind of approach 
we want, there's a lot of opportunity out there uh, for somebody who's, uh, you know, do, does have the resources. This is a, a buyer's market. And I think um, we're seeing that in some situations as well. Well, I agree. I, y'all have done a phenomenal job of, of the pivot. <clears throat> and I know that no matter what comes around tomorrow, or the next day, the next week, the next month, you guys are going to be successful. So I got to get you uh, back with us. Um, maybe we'll get back together later in the fall when we kind of begin to see, because I'd like to see how y'all have continued to pivot and some of the smart things that, you, uh, that you're doing. I, I, Mike, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time to be in with us today uh, from the bridge. Well, Rick, I can't thank you enough for being a friend for many, many years uh, through good times and bad times. Rick Jones is the guy that will, uh, my dad used to call him foxhole buddies. Rick Jones gets in the foxhole when it's not so good and he'll have a good time with you when times are good. So uh, thank you for being a friend and a mentor for me. Uh, I appreciate it. And I appreciate all the things you're doing. I like the fact that y'all are giving back to there. Y'all have really looked at your community and said, how do we help? Uh, we've, we've got, we've kind of coined a little phrase at fish bait call. When we get back together, let's give back together. And uh, y'all have already started doing that and uh, you should be congratulated for that. And uh we wish you well through this, and uh, hopefully we're going to be uh, back at the track, uh, back at the football stadium, uh, you know, back in the arena really, really soon uh, so we can get our business relaunched. So uh, thanks again, pal. Appreciate you being with me. You got it, Rick. Y'all have a great day. Thanks, Take care. Pal. Let's close today's show with another On the Run with Rick. I've... Um, I've missed traveling during this pandemic. Don't get me wrong. I've truly enjoyed being home and and thinking more, learning more, walking and swimming more, working in my garden more. But I've missed the adrenaline of traveling, and I've really missed New York City. No city in the world is quite like NYC, and I love the energy and pace of Manhattan. And there are so many amazing places to eat in the Big Apple. But one of my all-time favorites is Victor's Cafe in the Theater District. It's a wonderful Cuban restaurant, and I love Cuban food. This place rocks. You start with uh, maybe a red snapper ceviche, and then you go to great uh, entrees like the shredded uh, skirt steak or, or maybe one of their paellas, or you, you try my very favorite, which is uh, Lechon Asado, roast suckling pig. You wash it all down with a, a large pitcher of sangria. <laughs> it's still closed right now during the pandemic, but plans to reopen soon. And you're going to find me there the next time in, I'm in New York City. It's Victor's Cafe. It's really a great place. That's about it for today. Special thanks to Mike Boykin. I hope you'll join me next week from the bridge.